Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. It is so wonderful to see you all on this most joyous of occasions. I always like to try this out to make sure that I'm doing my job. Alleluia, he is risen. risen Yes, all right. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly but surely. Um, Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm the pastor here. And today is Easter Sunday. Yeah, I mean, we should just kind of stay in that celebration. This should be crack out the champagne, get out the party favors, like dust off your mother's fine china that never really seems to have a purpose. This today is the day. Today is the day for all of that. And it's really difficult because for me personally, you know, this is, this is kind of the big event. This is the thing, and this is where all the pressure is, and I've got to say everything I can about Jesus in 30 minutes, which unfortunately so often turns into 50 minutes, um, and it's just a lot of pressure. So the Lord gave me something like a month ago, and I really believe that it's going to be a good word, and we're going to, we're going to jump right into that. So I'm going to pray for you, and if you'd pray for me, because I've been nervous and anxious all week, and we've been doing a lot of wonderful things, and I learned how to make uh, this apple dish for the Seder on Thursday, and Good Friday, many of you were here. We've, we've been doing a lot this week, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a day off tomorrow, but not yet. <laughs> the Lord's got a lot to do, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we testify to the truth that you are here, that you are with us, and you are with us because you are resurrected. So come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Almighty Father, our God, a God who's three in one, a God who is outwardly focused and other-centered, A God who, by his very nature, is the definition of love. There is something within each one of us that's drawn us to this place. Maybe it's just because it's tradition, and that's what we do on Easter. Maybe it's because we are so deeply immersed in the reality of your kingdom that we rush to your house to celebrate you. Maybe we find ourselves in the in-between, where we're hungry, we're thirsty, We need something. We need to meet you, and we have this expectation that you want to speak, that you want to act, that you want to move in our lives in this place. Lord, whatever our expectations are, whatever it is that we've brought in with us, I pray that you would bless us in this moment, that nothing in our past would be dragging along behind us, keeping us from meeting you, but none of our anxieties of the future would either, that we'd be able to be fully present here now, in this moment with you and with one another. So may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So as I was praying about what the Lord would have for us uh, this Easter, you know, this, this whole year we've been on this journey, our vision for the years, together with one heart and mind drawing closer to God. And we've spent most of the beginning of the year examining, well, what is God's heart actually like? 
before we learn how to listen to him, before we learn how to be obedient and respond to where the Lord's leading us and what he's saying, how do we trust him in his character? Because so many of us, whether you realize it or not, you've brought in with you these preconceived notions of what God is like, and so many of those notions actually keep you from experiencing him as he truly is. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Sometimes it's the societal portrait that is painted of this is who Jesus is. Other people have co-opted him and domesticated him for their purposes. For many of us growing up in the church, perhaps we experienced bad theology, bad teaching. Or love was demonstrated to us in a way that, was, that fell short of the love that we see of God on the cross. But whatever it is, it's imperative that we recognize that we each step into this room with these filters, these expectations already in place of what God is actually like. And so we've been spending the past couple months examining what is God's heart like? What are his desires? What are his motivations? Can I trust him? Is he good? These are the questions that, that, that wrestle around deep within each one of us. So as I was praying a couple of months ago about what the Lord would have for us, kind of culminating this series in a way, this is where I came to, that God's heart is to restore, refresh, and reconcile all things through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That God came to restore, refresh, and reconcile. And when we say do all things, do we mean all things? Or is God selective? Does God think it's maybe too bold and ask to try to save the whole world? So he'll, just, he'll get what he can in the time that he's got and the rest of it can literally go to hell. Right? We'll just go ahead and stir up controversy at the beginning, right? <laughs> but do we believe him? Do we believe him that God is actually here now in the person of Jesus, in the person of the Holy Spirit to restore, refresh, and to reconcile all things I think when we begin to look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus through this lens, we begin to see a much bigger story than perhaps we've been sold before. But I think this is where we need to begin. We need to begin by restoring our image of Jesus. We need to begin by restoring our image of Jesus. Like I mentioned before, you know, so often we've inherited these visions of what Jesus is like that kind of obscure over the true image of who he is. We have our cultural lenses. We have uh, our personal experiences. We have the little, the little microcultures that we've grown up in. We have our socioeconomic status or our race or our gender. All of these different things affect how we view Jesus. And some of them are blessed because they give us this unique perspective to see Jesus. But oftentimes, those things can actually get in the way. And I love that passage that Kaylee read to us from Colossians. It's one of these many Christ hymns that Paul uh, kind of puts into his, uh, into his letters to remind his people of this is what Jesus is really like. They sang songs like we do today that remind us of what Jesus is actually like. I want to read that again, but I want you to close your eyes and this time listen to these words and, just, and allow the Holy Spirit to, to highlight to you particular words or phrases that might really jump out at you, that perhaps they surprise you, or perhaps you, you kind of see them as like, yes, this is the locus of my experience of Jesus. I'm going to read this one more time from Colossians 1. Paul says, we look at this sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything he created. 
for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme at the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He's supreme at the end. From the beginning to end, he's there towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Amen. You see, so often our vision of Jesus has been co-opted. Jesus has been taken for ransom, and he's been reduced, and he's been made small, and he's a puppet on strings that comes out to dance for somebody else's agenda. Politicians are very happy to get Jesus on their side so that we'll vote for them. Society is very happy to convince us that Jesus is in a certain way so that we can maintain the status quo because it actually works in favor of the privileged. Churches sometimes, unfortunately, not this one. If you're, this is your first time, don't worry. Like We have a really clear, honest view of Jesus, but I've heard rumors that sometimes it's a really great way to have a lot of power and authority by just calling on the name of Jesus and then holding that and lording it over other people. Sometimes it's our personal experiences. We've been given these expectations that we're supposed to meet him and have this relationship with him, and then things don't seem to work out the way that they do. But whatever it might be, We all have these limited perspectives of Jesus. It reminds me of how Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians that we looked at a few weeks ago. Now we look as in a mirror dimly lit, but then down the road we shall see him face to face. And the task of our lives is to steadily see Jesus more clearly day by day so that when we meet him face face to face, we will recognize him as he truly is. And we're in a pivotal shift in our own culture, in our own country right now, within the church and beyond, where people are really raising questions about the religion, about the vision of Jesus that they've inherited growing up. You see, for a long time, our country had the luxury of being a monoculture, which meant we were all white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, mostly males. Of course, it's not very true. We're 50% female. But this was a very easy way to just take for granted the vision of Jesus we had. Yes, absolutely, that's what Jesus looks like. And he slaps us a high five on Sundays for an hour and a half. And then we go to our nine to fives and everything just is the way that it is. But in a world that continues to get bigger and we're more connected than ever before, we begin to examine these views of Jesus, these perspectives of Jesus that we've inherited, and begin to ask the hard questions. And one of the words that perhaps you you hear bandied about a lot now is deconstruction, that people are deconstructing their faith, that our faith is almost like Lego blocks that have been built up for us by society. And what we're doing is, in the the name of trying to be uh, honest people and really examine what we believe, we start to pull everything apart and have all the bricks laying out in front of us and somehow that's the right perspective of what it is for us to find out what is good and true and pure and holy. 
And I think that's a rather tragic image for many of us when it comes to examining who Jesus really is to deconstruct, to pull apart. The word deconstruct really is just a fancy way of saying destroy, to pick apart, to stand at arm's length and to, 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 to rip something to shreds so that we don't have to actually engage with it. I think there's actually a more powerful analogy that really helps us to understand how we need to restore our image of Jesus, and that is in art restoration. And perhaps you've seen this before in these ancient churches where there's old uh, frescoes or, or older paintings from eras gone by, and what happens to these paintings over time is they get obscured by you know, years and centuries of grime and muck and dust and human stuff that floats through the air. Do you realize how much you're breathing in each other right now, by the way? Charity, do you have any, uh, what's that spray stuff? But it all kind of gets caked over these paintings and frescoes and whatnot. And the, the task of restoration is not to change the image, but is actually to scrape all the stuff off the surface that's obscuring the image that has always been there but wasn't necessarily be, uh, able to be seen. Perhaps many of you remember a very famous, or rather, should I rather say an infamous uh, story of restoration uh, that happened a few years ago uh, in a, in a uh, church in Spain. Uh, there's a small church in Zaragoza that had to restore this image of Jesus. It's called Eche Homo, which means behold the man. And uh, they were going to get some professionals, and this very delightful 82-year-old woman who was part of the church said, no, 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 I'll do it, and we'll save some money. And so this is the, in the center, that's the image kind of after the you know, salt in the air and all this, they kind of destroyed it. And this is uh, what this poor sweet lady uh, came up with. And it's now called Eche Mono, which means behold the monkey. <laughs> and it's a, it's a very unfortunate image to say the least. Uh, I actually read an interview with her. She said, if I could go back in time and change one thing in my life, this would be it. And all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> But so often, is this not what happens to us? We, we can kind of see the image of Jesus, but maybe it's obscured or it's, it's run down. It needs to be refreshed. It needs to be restored. But we take matters into our own hands. And in our honest attempts to try to restore our image of Jesus, sometimes what happens is we just kind of make him in our likeness. And we end up doing the same thing that has been done unto us, is that we craft a Jesus that's in our image. That maybe we're not believing in the Jesus that we inherited, but we change uh, who he is to suit our needs. And we end up with a Jesus that looks rather uh, eche mono. <laughs> you know, I do this professionally. I'm supposed to be a professional Jesus follower, to have the best vision of Jesus. That's why you guys pay me to stand on this stage, right? But I find in my life how often I have to come back to him. And I have to come back with these open hands to say, I thought I knew. I thought I had an idea of who you were and, and who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to engage with me and how this whole thing is supposed to work, but I'm falling short. My image of Jesus is still obscured by centuries of muck and mire. My image of Jesus is a poor representation of who he is because I've taken matters into my own hands to just craft him the way that I want. 
And perhaps, like you, for me, many times, the the desire to come back to Jesus a little bit more open-handed is because the image of Jesus that I've crafted for myself has fallen short, has disappointed me. And not only that, when I begin to craft myself in the image of the Jesus that I have crafted that looks like me, I begin to find that I'm not living the story that God is calling me to. And I think for all of us, we have to keep coming back to Jesus as best we can to see him as he truly is, to come back to him as close as we can get to him. Even last week when, Paul, uh, when Cole was talking us through you know, the last week of Jesus' life, examining how the disciples all had this image of Jesus and who he was supposed to be for them, this revolutionary leader, this one who was going to raise up and, and defend Israel and, and throw off the oppressors and start this military revolution. And then when they saw him on the cross, they all walked away because he was not the Jesus that they were expecting. And Cole even said to us, you know, really the only difference between Judas and Peter was that Peter stuck around to meet Jesus as he really was. Which I think is the invitation for all of us today. It's not a question of if you have obscured expectations of Jesus. It's are you going to stick around long enough to allow him to reveal himself as he truly is. And so we have to restore our image of Jesus, coming back to the truth of who he is. Secondly, the resurrected Jesus refreshes us now to keep going until we see all things renewed. Here we are 2,000 years after the resurrection, and sometimes we continue to ask these questions. Why does it feel like we're still stuck? Why is there still evil? Why does it not feel like things are working? And a lot of times, unfortunately, what we have internalized is we have to bury all of those questions and we have to continue to pretend like everything's fine and there's total victory and and nothing's wrong. And what happens when we continue to engage with the chaos of the world is we continue to, to squinch our eyes and close our fists and say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And we're hiding ourselves from being honest with the way the world is today. And what's the question beneath the question is, why is God taking his time? Maybe even deeper, we're talking about God's heart. If God really loved me, why am I still struggling? Why am I still suffering? Why is there still pain? Why does this not seem to be the way things are supposed to be? And I wish I could give you some big theological answer for why it still seems this way. But I want to tell you and give you encouragement that even in the beginning of the Jesus revolution, the beginning of this new reality, the kingdom of God, they were attempting to answer the same questions. There's this story in Acts right at the very beginning where Peter heals this lame beggar, this this man who could not walk. And and everybody is witness to this miracle and this man kind of like entering into resurrection life as he's leaping about praising God. And Peter begins this message, taking this this moment, this, this hint of resurrection, and speaking to the Jews. And he says this, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate? though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one 
and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You can see even here, Peter is challenging them saying, you had this limited perspective of Jesus. You had these agendas that you were looking for Jesus to fulfill. And when he didn't, you sold him out. You handed him over to the powers that you wanted to be delivered from. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. I think this is what's so key and so powerful about these questions that live deep within us when we feel like it doesn't seem like it's working. Peter goes on, Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Times of refreshment. When I read that phrase, it just jumped out of the page at me. Times of refreshment. That we repent, that we come back to Jesus because of our ignorance. We have sold him out. We've made him small. We've kind of obscured him with all of our agendas, but we repent. We come home. We come back to the God as fully revealed in Jesus, and God gives us times of refreshing. The resurrected Jesus refreshes us now to keep going until we see all things renewed. These times of refreshment are a result of us repenting, of coming home, of coming back to what has always been true about God, even though we've missed it, and learning how to see him as he truly is. Because for us in this moment, in the 21st century, April 20th, 2019 at 11.24 a.m., cultivating intimacy with Jesus now gives us endurance to face a world in constant flux. By you and I, by cultivating intimacy with Jesus now, it gives us those times of refreshing. It gives us that endurance to face a world that seems chaotic. I so often feel when I read the news or when I engage with many people in our community, this is not how things should be. But even as we were looking on Good Friday, that, that, you know, that idea of, of moving from numbness to grief, of seeing the world honestly the way that it is, of seeing our lives honestly the way they are today, actually enables us to grieve our stories, and then it begins to open us up to hope. When we can name that things are not okay, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be, it actually encourages us to come to God and say, God, I need a new vision of what can be and what will be in your kingdom. And so in a way, that Holy Saturday that lives between Good Friday and Easter, it's this place that all of us live now, that we're squeezed between these two great events of history. The first coming of God is revealed in Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his promise of restoration, and then his second coming when all things shall be made new, when there are no more tears 
when there is no more pain, when God finishes his rescue project for the world. But in the meantime, you and I live in this creative tension between the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And it requires a lot of trust on our behalf to know that God knows what he's doing. I think in many ways, God gives us times of refreshing in one hand, and he enables us divine frustration in the other hand so that we might persevere. So those feelings that you have when you're honest with your own life, and you're frustrated, and you're angry, or perhaps you, you feel like you're teetering on despair or anxiety, there's something in that that God wants to use today to actually enable you to persevere. I want to give you permission this morning to have a righteous anger that things are not the way that you know they should be because you've met God. You know his heart. You know his desire for mankind. You know his desire for the whole universe, and it's not that way yet. And it's okay for you to be angry because that anger might actually be the fuel that you need to continue to persevere. But that anger only gets redeemed when you're in relationship with Jesus when he makes it work for his kingdom instead of against it. And so I want you to bless that frustration that you feel when you engage with those kinds of questions about why is it taking so long? Because in that, God will grant you times of refreshment. And I think this is where it really comes down to us. Like, what's our part to play? Is this all about us just waiting and twiddling our thumbs for God to do something to come and to rescue us so that we can you know, float off onto a cloud and magically know how to play the harp somehow and just all sound great as a choir? Which, by the way, you guys sound amazing this morning. I just want to bless that too. But as we witness restoration and refreshment, we can accept that we've been called to reconcile the world back to God. As we restore our image of Jesus, as we're entering into deeper and deeper relationship with him, as we open up our frustrations to allow God to bring us times of refreshing, to give us the courage to keep going in a world that seems chaotic in our day and age, as we do that, we begin to recognize that part of the work of reconciliation is on us. That's our job. Even Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Did you ever think that maybe God is taking his time because he wants everybody? Think about that. Maybe God's taking his time because he's not content just to take us. Maybe he wants your grandpa. Maybe he wants that kid in class that you can't stand. Maybe he wants the neighbor that you've never actually seen, but you think that someone lives there because the grass keeps getting mowed. <laughs> Maybe we haven't seen the restoration of all things yet because God is very patient. And God tends to work very slowly but just as importantly, God has empowered us to be part of that journey. And Paul goes on, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God was making his appeal through us. Why is God taking his time? Maybe because he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to get up and go. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you know what the word reconciliation means? It literally means to be made friends again. It's a word of relationship. He's saying we implore you on Christ's behalf, be friends with God again. Come back to him. Let him receive you back home. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, many of us are stuck because we have not taken seriously the purpose to which we have been called. Many of you are stuck in your life because it has been a one-way channel of you only receiving from God. And you're waiting for breakthrough, you're waiting for change, you're waiting for transformation. And I'm here to tell you, it will not happen until you begin to partner with God to reconcile the world to Him. Until you become outwardly focused. And I know you don't feel like you're ready for it, because you're not. And that's okay. That's why God has given us His Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is, be reconciled to God and then start doing the reconciling work. Why are you still here? Because there's work for you to do. That is why you're here. Your purpose in life is to love other people into the kingdom. And if it's only about you, you're only getting half the gospel. I remember asking my dad several months ago about, does he believe in uh, you know, revival, what is, what is the biblical basis for revival in a very, like, grumpy old man thing? He says, well, there is no real biblical basis for it, which I thought was very funny and very offensive to my charismatic sensibilities. He said, because so often what people are saying in revival is we're waiting for God to come and do something that he's already told us we're supposed to go do. That's what we're expecting half the time. We're expecting that if we get into this room and we sing these songs and we have these amazing speakers and all this, God's going to come and do the thing that he's already empowered us to do. We're waiting for a gift that God has already given us because we don't want to accept responsibility that we are the hands and feet of Jesus, that we are the body of Christ. And it's not about us being worthy or unworthy. It's not about us having the right tools or knowing the right things to say. It's about us stepping out in faith in our day, in our time, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to reconcile the world onto him. He's already tasked us with the project of rescuing, restoring, redeeming, and reconciling the world so that we might practice resurrection here and now. And friends, when you and I get behind that vision, when you and I start to put aside our stuff and be reconciled to God and then turn around and begin to love others as he has called us to, we will witness resurrection in our day and age. But it has to begin with restoration. It has to begin with you and I coming to Jesus time and time again and saying, I thought I knew you. I thought I knew who I was talking about. But I've made you small, and I've covered you over with my agenda. I've believed these other voices that have told me who you are, and I'm sorry, and I repent, 
will you restore the truth of who you are so that I can see you anew, so that I can come back to you, so that I can be through you reconciled to God. Close your eyes for just a moment. How has your image of Jesus changed over time? Or has it? Are you existing with the same picture of Jesus that you had when you were five, when you were 15, when you were 25, 35, whatever it might be? have the courage, the perseverance, the tenacity, the audacity to even allow your image of Jesus to be resurrected this morning, to breathe new life into a picture of Jesus that served you for a time, but it's falling short now. What's one way that you wish that you could see Jesus more clearly this morning? that you need to scrape off in order to allow him to shine through. one of those places where the Holy Spirit refreshes us, gives us that courage to persevere. It's one of the places where the Spirit of Jesus restores unto us a beautiful and accurate vision of who He is. And it's the place where God begins to speak to us about what it looks like, not just for us to be reconciled to Him, but for us to recognize the job that we've been given to reconcile others. In the back, many people in our community helped to build this really beautiful stained glass uh, window that we have. It's this amazing, amazing ancient icon of Jesus, sometimes called the harrowing of hell, which is just a really great name for a piece of art. And over the image of Jesus, we have all of these little squares and they have different things written on them that, you know, our image of Jesus has been obscured by politics or by society or bad teaching or disappointments that we've gone through in our lives or fear that we have that if we come too close to him, something negative might happen to us. All these different reasons that we might have Jesus obscured in our image. And as we're worshiping, I want to encourage you all to go back and symbolically pull off one of those things that stands between us and Jesus as this this prayer, this prayer of the body that comes to him and says, Jesus, I recognize that I cannot see you clearly, but I want to. I want to meet you anew. I want to restore my image of who you are and allow that to be the prayer of your heart. Be open to see what he wants to speak to you. So let's pray, we're gonna worship, and those of you who desire can go back and participate. God, we we sit here squeezed between the, the experience of Good Friday and the hope of Resurrection Sunday. 
we live in that world right now. We live in this world of the kingdom is already here and also the kingdom is on its way. And we need courage, God. We need courage to keep going because we're scared and we're hurt and we're disappointed. We're numb. We're hopeless. Reconcile us back to you, God. Refresh us. Give us new vision. Give us new inspiration that we might come to you all over again to witness to who you really are today. And God, speak to us about the role that each of us have to play in advancing the kingdom in our time to reconcile the world back to you, to be your hands and feet. So bless us, God, as we bless you. I pray all of these things in the strong and the powerful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's worship. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.